Welcome to The Spark Effect, the most famous podcast you haven't heard of. I am your host, Wendy Durrell, bringing you stories, advice, support, and the most fascinating guests on the planet. I believe it just takes a spark to change a life. Let's do this thing. Hello, Wendy Durrell here. So excited to be talking to you all. Welcome to 2020. Can you believe it? It feels like the last 10 years went by very quickly. I mean, it might not have felt that way during, but now that I'm looking back, it just whoosh. When I was a kid, the years felt like they went a lot slower. And as an adult, it feels like time goes very quickly. I have been so busy behind the scenes that uh, I haven't had a chance to really focus on this show until now. Uh, as most of you know, I'm, I run my own business. I'm a one-woman shop, soon to be a bigger team because I need some I need some help. Um, but my own business kind of had some explosive growth this past year, and I really started doing what I wanted to do, which was help as many people as I can improve their health without such an obsession on dieting and on the on, on what the the what the scale says. I feel like we really need to usher in uh, a generation that isn't so obsessed with going on all of these diets. So my focus was definitely over there and on building out my courses and, um, and enrolling all of my new students. But I am so excited to be here today because today's guest is, I had just like the best time chatting with her. Stephanie Husky is a um, sports psychology professor. She teaches at several universities. She's also a martial arts teacher and used to have her own studios. She was a black belt at 14 years old. <laughs> She's now sixth degree. And um, and what she teaches, she teaches with a focus on peak performance, on using goal setting, um, imagery, uh, motivational principles. Um, and I really had a good time talking to her because it's it's really applicable to everyone. It's not just people that are involved with sports or martial arts or whatnot. These kind of um, goal setting and motivational principles and things like that can be used by everyone. So I know how valuable this episode is going to be for my listeners. Let's get to the interview. Stephanie, welcome to the Spark Effect. Hi, thanks. Good to be here. Super excited to chat. So tell me about you. Uh, so I, um, I'm a, a sport and health psychology teacher. Um, I teach at several different universities and I've been involved in uh, martial arts for over 30 years. So I started when I was 10. Um, I started martial arts when I was 10 to clarify that. Um, and it just kind of, it was a place where I just enjoyed myself. I could succeed and, you know, I just continued um, training and ended up teaching classes, um, had my own karate school for a while, um, competed a lot. And so once I, you know, really started looking at, at something to get my master's in, um, sports psychology stood out to me. And once I started learning about it, I realized how many of those lessons we had already learned in martial arts. Um, you know, a lot of sports psychology is about the mindset and, um, and, and so, you know, the, the tricks that, that sports psychology teaches we were already doing those in martial arts. So I think what really, what I really loved about sport psychology is that it really put a name and science to what I had grown up 
learning and training and doing in martial arts. Um, That's such a great merging of two things that, that a lot of people would think are different, but they are so similar. I think a lot of people, when they think of martial arts, they think of the athleticism of it. Um, and the and the fighting of it, they don't they don't even take into consideration the mindset of it. You said you started when you were ten years old. Did you start? Was there a family member involved? Were, were there other friends, or how did you how did you end up in that first class? Uh, my mom drug us there for self defense. So my brother and I uh, went, and my brother was four, uh, and so we you know we continued training together. And when we had our school, uh, it was uh, my brother and I were the main teachers, um, and then at by that time you know, we had old friends, um, you know, that had, had taught with us. And so they were our instructors. My husband started, uh, taking and, and um, helping us teach. And so it, it really did become like kind of a, a family, um, affair, you know, as we uh, got into it. So, uh, and, and you just kind of build that family, you know, you, you, once you get into a group, it's, it's people, I mean, some of those people that I've known for years, like they literally do feel like family when I see them. Absolutely. Tell me what a, a kata is, because I've seen it referenced a lot. And when I was doing a little bit of research, I saw the word a lot. Oh gosh, you ask about my favorite thing in the whole world. <laughs> Yay. So, a lot of, I mean, you know, like you said, you know, you think of martial arts and you think of the, the fighting and, um, and everything that happens. But when you, when you look at it, like the fighting, especially tournament fighting is, is really just a game of tag. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's fun. It's good experience, but the katas are really, it's, it's one side of a, a dance, right? So it's like a dance fight um, and it's one side of it. And so when you learn it, you learn the set series of moves um, and you do them, you know, of course, you know, you have to learn them the same way and in the same order. And uh, then as you get more advanced, you can put more flair, I guess, into it. Um, now the style that I take of is Ishinru and it's a really like low key. It's, it's really great for self-defense because all of the kicks are low. Um, so we're not doing, we're never kicking anybody in the head because you don't want to fall over. I mean, it's very, very practical. And so there's not a lot of like flash and flair with that. Um, so you work on, you know, displaying speed and strength and, you know, it's just, um, it's a wonderful tool to practice those, um, all of those things. And then, it's the perfect vehicle for practicing all of these mindset things as well. So when you do a kata, it's a fight, but it's only your side of the fight. So you have to imagine your opponent. Well, in training, you know, they always tell you that your opponent is exactly the same size as you, exactly your ability. Um, and in the end, it's you, you know, you're, right, you're fighting right. yourself, which is a huge life lesson as well. Um, but, you know, as, as you get more advanced, so does your opponent. So um, I, I just, I love them because they're such, you, you know, you can just, um, and, and it's a workout. Um, you know, anytime I need to work out, I don't need any equipment. I just go downstairs and run through my katas and they're serious. I mean, if you do it the right way, by the time you finish one, you should be exhausted, you know, just out of breath and tired. Sure. And there are eight of them in our style. So I love that it sounds like almost ceremonial and like choreography, but, but with a lot more purpose and intention behind it. It, it reminds me a lot of like um, going through a, almost like a yoga sequence because as you progress, you're adding more of like you said flair, but yeah, more of your ownness, I guess, into it. That's what it's, it's sounding like to me anyway. Yes, it, it absolutely does. Um, because you know, with, with yoga, 
you do the basics and you get the moves so they look right. But then once you get deeper into it, there are layers and layers and kata is the, is the same way. Yeah, there's lots of different types of martial arts. And I, I actually dated uh, a boy in high school who was in, in martial arts. And I'm always scared of saying the word karate because he would always correct me and say it was karate. <laughs> so like, I just yes. realized I've been avoiding that word this entire episode so far. <laughs> is that true? Like, do you have to say it, it with that little trill? Okay. So for my listeners, I, mean, I know how to say it, guys. <laughs> it's technically that way, but I'll be honest, like even after all of these years, I feel ridiculous saying it that way. So, you, right. you know, it feels a little too, uh, I don't know, a little too pretentious for me, I guess. So I have, like, I have like flashbacks of him like, that's not how you say it. I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> so funny. Um, so we talked about the, the mindset of it. Did you go through like a lot of injuries? and a lot of um, physical ailments during the, the training throughout the years? You know, for me personally, um, I did not. I mean, I've had broken noses and mm-hmm. pretty sure like broken, to- you know, like jam toes and broken toes. And, you know, like I still have a lump on my shin from some sort of, you know, but as far as like big injuries, I never had those. Um, There's someone listening right now like, oh my God, broken noses, what? <laughs> <laughs> But I get you like no, no major breaking, broken bones. No, like, no, no. And and I think a huge part of that too, is that whole, like, uh, being tough mentality, you know, like even, I mean, I never let on that I had a broken nose, but I am 100% sure I've broken it several times. You know, you just, you get hit, your eyes water and you keep going, (laughs) you you know? Yep. Yeah. I I know exactly. What, what are the differences with Ishinru and other types of martial arts? So Ishinru is, um, and of course I'm biased saying this, but, um, I think it's, it's a lot more in close. So if I'm going to hit you, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, but if I'm going to hit something, um, I'm going to be close enough to not only touch that target, but also go through that target. Um, the stances are a lot closer as well. So what that does is that if you're actually in, you know, an altercation, you're not, your, your feet aren't totally spread out so that your center of balance is higher and you're Mm -hmm. able to move. So one of our codes in Ishinru is to be able to change direction at any time. So So that sounds like it's more about, um, force and strength and less about, um, connection, right? Is that what you're saying? Like, like um, instead of, instead of being able to hit something that's like two inches from me, I would be able to hit something past that. Is, am I, am I interpreting that correctly? Um, you, you would go through that target. So okay. you would, you would hit, like, I wouldn't stop when I got to you. Right. I would be close enough that I could go all the way through you. And that's going to push you back. Um, if, if you've ever seen um, like Bruce Lee's one inch punch, Um, he's, he's super, you know, he's, he's far away, but he's using that energy and that force, um, and those mechanics to drive them. And so I think Ishinru has a lot of body positions that allow us to be in a position where we can drive our techniques. So if you get hit by someone in Ishinru, you're you're going to know you got hit, you know, it's, um, low kicks. Um, the, the most uh, distinguishing feature is that we have a vertical punch instead of a horizontal. So, um, when we punch, our thumb is on top. So you probably I'm like holding my like, fist up, looking at it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, so your thumb is on top, like, um, 
um, like you give a thumbs up sign and then you kind of yeah. tuck your, your, um, thumb on top of your fingers. You don't tuck it in, okay. but you right. punch like that. And the idea is that when you do that, your wrist is tighter. Um, it, it's in a better mechanical position so that, um, you're, you're not, so that, so that all the mechanics are aligned and the techniques, um, hit harder really. Um, so it's a lot about mechanics. Um, it's a lot about, you know, alignment and, um, keeping, you know, tall, um, but also being grounded. Um, so, and I think, you know, you, if you have any listeners who are in other styles, I'm sure that they would, you know, we could have hours debates on, on which one's better, but, right, right. but that's sort of it is, you know, um, low kicks, um, you know, in close techniques, um, tighter, more natural stances, and then that vertical punch. Gotcha. Now working in, um, sport health exercise psychology, are you working with all types of athletes or are there, are there specifics? Um, so I do not generally do like one-on-one, um, consultations with athletes. Um, what I do is teach classes and then the students in my classes are going to be working with athletes. So in my classes, I have future occupational therapists, physical therapists, personal trainers, um, PE teachers. So it, it's kind of cool to be able to influence people who are going to be leading athletes and exercisers Absolutely. and, you know, um, so they get all of this knowledge and then they can take it and, and apply it to their career. What is the hardest part of your job? Ooh, um, I would say probably just dealing with students who um, think that they know more than they do and aren't willing to just take a breath and listen to this new information. And be um, teachable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, they, they kind of feel like they already know the information and then whatever you're saying, you, you know, is, is not, um, <clears throat> doesn't align with what they already think. And so they're just resistant to it. Um, and you know, those are very few, um, honestly, you know, I, I don't encounter those a, a lot. Um, but definitely when I do, they are frustrating. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I was taking a look at your website and I will make sure that all of you listeners have the link to it at the end, but you launched, let me make sure I'm pronouncing this correct. The nomadic dojo. What, tell me about that. So I, um, we moved from Tennessee to um, the St. Louis area about four years ago, and I kind of was missing um, my, uh, you know, my karate family and, and my karate, like being able to teach. And uh, I thought, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to open a, a karate school here when I don't have my team. You know, you know, what made us great was that, like I said earlier, we were kind of a family affair. You know, we had our um, instructors and, you know, our family, like everybody was there and it was a fun thing. And so I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to do this, you know? Um, and so I just kind of have been floating ideas in my head of how to kind of share some of those, some of that um, martial arts experience online. Because if you have a place to do that, I mean, there are so many schools and so many instructors and so many people with, with different knowledge that the internet allows us to come together, but we just didn't have there's no place to do that necessarily. So, you know, you have to travel back to Tennessee or, um, I went uh, to Tampa a couple of weekends ago. So, uh, for karate thing. And so, you know, you kind of have to travel in order to, to do that. Um, but there's a lot to be learned from, you know, videos and podcasts and, and blogs. And so, um, my idea was, you know, original to kind of, um, 
have karate as kind of the background for that. Um, but a dojo, you know, a place to learn that, that kind of travels um, from, from place to place. And, you know, um, bring instructors to the Nomadic Dojo online or, you know, visit other places and um, just kind of exploring those possibilities. And then also adding that layer of the whole like sport, um, health and exercise psychology mindset um, lessons on there, which are a lot easier to learn, obviously, um, online than martial arts. Sure. The, the internet has provided us with this, this wonderful window to, to such a larger audience. And something that, that I think you and I both do is we talk a lot about um, goal setting and improving your health and all of it kind of goes across the board. What advice would you give to, to anyone about goal setting? Um, I think the very, so the, the biggest piece of advice is to make sure that your goals are actionable. Um, there, like science shows us that 92% of people do not reach their goals. And that's huge. I mean, what, if 92% of us are not reaching these goals we set, we're setting ourselves up for failure by even, even setting goals in the first place. So the biggest mistake that I, I see is, is that people don't make their goals actionable. Um, and you know, a, a great example of that is, um, like I want to lose five pounds in two months. Now, if you look at smart goals, technically that is a smart goal. It's specific, it's measurable. Um, you know, it's actually, it, it's, you know, uh, it meets all of those guidelines, but it doesn't have the main thing in it that from a psychology perspective we need, which is a behavior. Mm -hmm. So when I say I want to lose five pounds in two months, um, that's to me like an athlete say going into a game and saying, I want to win this game. Now that's a noble goal. That's, that's great. I mean, that's what you kind of where you want to be in the end, but it's not what you're doing to get there. So with losing weight, I mean, again, there are a thousand things that go into weight loss, but are you like, what's at the root of that? Do you want to feel better about yourself? Do you want to change your diet? Do you want to uh, change your eating uh, or your exercise routine? So with that goal, there's no action. Um, and so when you, when you set a goal, it absolutely has to have a behavior. Um, so you could convert that goal of losing five pounds to, I want to start exercising every day. I mean, that's something that you can do that's something that you can control um, generally. Um, and, you know, it ultimately should get you to that weight loss outcome that you want. But if your goal is actionable, then what are you even doing? And, and I think another great example is like you can, set, you can say like, you know, this year I want to go to Yellowstone National Park. And that's great. That's where you want to go. But that does not tell you how to get there. Like there's nothing, you know, you have to start taking action to get there. And so when we set those goals, we're like, yeah, I want to do this. But we don't really look deep into that behavior and see what actions will get us there. Yeah. So we're, I think we're definitely um, a species that is um, motivated by forward movement. And I find a lot of people that I work with initially they try to set a lot of very restrictive goals. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And I was looking at your blog and one of the mistakes that you listed was people saying no. And I was like, exactly. <laughs> because Yes. I mean, that's, that's another big, that's probably the second biggest thing that I would, I would point out is, um, you know, when you, when you try to restrict what it does um, is 
it, it keeps us focused on what we're restricting. So like yeah. if you've ever taken, I'm big on analogies if you haven't, you know, or, or comparisons. So if you, if you have ever taken a kid into a store and been like, Hey, don't touch that breakable thing. <laughs> and you know, the only thing that the kid is now thinking about is, Oh gosh, why can't I touch this? Like, I really just want to touch it. I, I'm laughing because my boyfriend, if he sees a sign that says, don't touch this, <laughs> he immediately <laughs> wants to touch the dang thing. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's not wrong. Yep. He's not. Yep. <laughs> but that's exactly what we do. If we're like, yep. uh, you know, I don't want to have sodas. I don't want to eat sugar, whatever. Then all we can think about is what we're not supposed to do. And that applies to behaviors. It applies to thoughts. Um, if you're trying to get yourself out of like a negative self-talk or a, a negative, you know, kind of mindset, then you don't worry about it. Don't think bad thoughts. Don't say bad things to yourself. Well, now all you're thinking about is stopping that behavior instead of moving forward and doing the good. So an, an example of that is, you know, if you're trying to restrict your sodas, forget about that. Add more water. Like say, mm -hmm. you know, focus on like drinking more water and then in drinking more water, you should drink less sodas. Right. Right. And have, so have more of this thing and you will end up having less of the other. Yep. Yes. Yes. Um, so yes, don't restrict at all. Those are, those are inhibitional goals. Um, and like you said, you know, they, um, they actually enact what psychology calls the what the hell effect. So if we set a goal of, you know, not drinking sodas, we'll stick with that. Um, and then, we accidentally drink a soda or yesterday I had a, a stomach bug and I drank a soda. So like now if that were my goal, it's totally ruined. Um, and so it enacts the what the hell effect. And then we just, we've got nowhere to go. We just quit, you know? So um, the more we can move forward, the better. And if we have those actions where we're, we continue to focus on the process and the, the behavior, then we're constantly moving forward. Absolutely. I know that you also talked about routine. So when, so our brains actually store goals and habits differently. So when we set a goal of, um, I guess an easy one is for this is uh, flossing. You know, if you want to add flossing daily, if you're not, if you're not a flosser um, and you want to add that in, when we think about it, we, all right, I want to start flossing. Um, I'm tired of my dentist looking at me that way. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to start flossing. Um, then that's a goal. I mean, our brain stores that as kind of a wish, as a dream. But when we start actually doing the thing, then we start processing it differently as part of that routine and part of that behavior. So when, when we are trying to add this behavior, okay, so now we are, we've talked about making things actionable. So we've identified the behavior, we're moving forward, we're constantly adding. So we have something that we're adding to our lives. And if we can, we can roll it into something that we already do. So hopefully we already have a nighttime and morning routine of brushing our teeth. All we have to do is just fold in the flossing to that. Um, you know, if you're trying to drink more water, you probably drink or have probably eat meals um, throughout the day. So just roll that water into the eating that you already have. Um, another great, you know, is when you leave work, roll in your workout. Like I go love work that. Don't make it such a big deal. Yeah. Just roll it in. And then once it's a habit, you, it's not such a struggle. It's just what you do. You know, sure. you just, you just, um, add it in, incorporate it. And again, if it's not an action, if it's not a behavior, you can't like, there's nothing, there's no behavior to add in. Um, but once it's a behavior and it's once something that you're moving forward with and doing, 
then you can just fold it into your regular routine. And then what happens after that is, is you're, you're, you're feeling good <laughs> about making that a routine and you're kind of getting a rhythm then. Yes. And, and you can easily, um, you know, stair step that. So, um, I think probably one of the mistakes also that we make as, as goal setters is that we look at what we're supposed to be doing and we try to make ourselves do that. So let's say exercise. We know we should be working out probably about 30 minutes a day, um, every day, you know, or at least five days a week. So we'll, we'll take that into the after work routine, right? We work mm -hmm. five days a week. We're going to try to work out 30 minutes a day. Well, when you first start that routine, 30 minutes might be too much. And so there's nothing wrong with making a routine of just 10 minutes or five minutes. You know, if maybe you want to do a morning walk and 30 minutes is too much, fine. Start with five because five is better than zero. Absolutely. And it's, you're, you're moving forward. You're doing something. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I talk to yes. people every day that, that say they want to do these things and they wish they did these things, but until they're willing to actually, like you were saying before, be actionable about them, um, they're just words. And, and every time I hear someday or next week or next month, I'm like, that just really means never. <laughs> like it yes. really, really means never. And, and, you know, if, if we have those, once we start building those habits, um, I think a lot of times we, um, so let's say we've decided we're going to get up in the morning and walk. Um, we're going to start out easy. We're going to do five minutes and, you know, maybe the second morning, it just feels like too much. Um, if we, but if we rely on our moods and kind of how we feel, it's really unlikely that we will do those things consistently. I mean, that's what procrastination is. It's an emotional response to this task that we just don't want to do. Um, and sadly, and <laughs> as an adult, there's a lot of things that we just don't want to do, but we still have to do them. So when you rely on that routine rather than how you feel at the moment, um, then you're more likely to do the thing because you're not basing it on how you feel. You know, if, if I, um, made my food orders about how I feel each time, I would probably always get fries. You know, it's not that I, that I don't know that broccoli is better than fries. It's that fries taste better. I enjoy them more. So, you know, when we, when we rely on that emotional response, um, we're going to be more likely to respond to the now and not do it and put it Oh, tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. I will. Sure. So it's all about that commitment and that moving forward. I think um, that once people like have that little switch happen, because we're smart enough to understand how easy it is to fall into just reacting from emotions where once that, that little click happens, I watch it with people, they, they really do take complete control over their life and they're able to do things because it's what they are supposed to do. It's their responsibility and less about how they're feeling that day. Yes. And when, you know, again, when you go back to the action and you, you break it down to that behavior, it's because we're controlling the process and not controlling the outcome. Um, we do feel more in control and we can kind of gain a little bit of confidence. Um, you know, one of the places where we get confidence is from our past experiences of doing things well. And so if we, you know, once we can control it a few times, then it's, it expands, you know, and, and we feel better about it. And, um, we call it in my, in my classes, we call it baby steps. You know, you, you baby step your way to whatever it is you want to do. Um, and then once you reach that goal, you set a new goal, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's all about those, those tiny little baby steps and just building momentum from that, uh, because you are in control, you're in charge and you are, um, 
you know, again, really controlling that process by controlling your behavior, even if you don't want to do it. Sure. So good. I know that this is going to help so many of my listeners. And, and again, I will make sure to, to link you guys to the Nomadic Dojo. What's next for you? Um, well, I'm going to continue to, uh, you know, to teach classes. Um, and I, like I said, I teach at several different universities. So um, I'm really looking for um, like a full-time, you know, position at one university where I can really like settle in um, and start um, really finding my home there. Um, but until then, I, I think, you know, I'm going to continue to publish more on Nomadic Dojo. Um, I really, I think there's an opportunity um, to kind of share some of these things with uh, my fellow martial artists and um, anyone who's really trying to set a goal and, and change their mindset. Um, so, you know, that's one of my favorite things as well is to take the lessons from the classroom and share them with, with people I know in, in real life um, or online um, and, and just kind of get the word out, you know? Definitely. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? Ooh. Um, <laughs> No, I, th- I feel like we covered you, you. We covered most of the things that, that we had, you know, kind of planned on um, talking about. So I feel like we covered. I feel like we covered it and gave several several lessons there. Yeah, this was good. Um, for someone that has never done any sort of martial arts before, what advice would you give to them to get started? Oh, um, I would say to check out several different um, styles and dojos because each style is so different um you know it it just has a different i I think attitude and goals and you know some of them are more about competition and some of them are more about personal development um so i think finding the right dojo is really important um because like i love my style but Mm -hmm. i've been to dojos that taught that style and i didn't like it um so as much as I love the style, if it's not the right dojo, if it's not the right match, um, it's not, you know, you're not going to enjoy it. Um, but I sure. think, I think also being willing to step out of your comfort zone and know that you are going to feel absolutely ridiculous during the first like couple of months. It's, it feels so awkward to be doing some of those punches and kicks. And, you know, you just feel like um, almost like a stereotypical like Karate Kid movie. And you're like, what am I doing here? And <laughs> That's so I nice think- to hear because I, yeah, I, I took a class and I felt like an alien. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well, like a total spaz. <laughs> yes. And, and that's where I feel like the dojo can kind of come in because some of them are more likely to like put you on, on display in front of everyone. And you're like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, no. And then when you find that right connection though, with the right dojo and the right instructor, like you feel, you're like, okay, well, I feel weird, but I know I'm supposed to, you know, like they're okay. They're not laughing at me about it. Like right. it, it's, you know, there's, there's an awkward phase, but then it gets pretty fun. Like it's, it's empowering for sure. So good. And it, and it's not just, again, it's not just about like a workout. This, this is like full, this is going to help you in all parts of, in all ways of your life. Yes. Yes. And I'll be honest, like I draw confidence for a lot of things. I mean, if I go to a job interview, I'm pulling my confidence from my experiences in martial arts and, you know, my tournament experiences. And I'm like, okay, well, if I can do that, I can do this interview. Like I've got this, you know, I've got yeah, my game face amazing? and let's go. Isn't yeah. that it, it totally helps how you think and feel just as much as it helps your body and your strength and all of that. So good. Absolutely. Yes. Stephanie, thank you so much for visiting the Spark Effect. I would love to have you on again. Well, thank you. I would love to be here again. So thank you so much. 
Another huge thank you to Stephanie for visiting me at The Spark Effect. I had the best time chatting with you. For my listeners, go check out her website, The Nomadic Dojo. There's a link in the show notes. She has a lot of really valuable content there for you. Ladies, if you are looking for... um, to start moving your body in a low-impact, restorative way. It feels like we really need that right now, right? So I'm hosting a workshop this month. We start February 17th, Back to Basics, Mindset and Movement. You're going to get four yoga classes that are restorative. We're not going to be we're not going to be going high intensity. This is all about getting centered and, and grounded in our own bodies again. We're also going to have two live master classes where we go over mindset. And I really am, I'm structuring this so that it feels very intimate and like a retreat. The limited to 10 spots, about half are taken as of today. There's a link in the show notes. If you have any questions, please hop in my inbox. I love talking about this stuff. I will see you all next time on The Spark Effect. I hope everyone is happy and healthy and having a wonderful 2020 so far. Ciao.